Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate, And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends, your family, and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, Omar Khan's career spans more than 15 years in financial services. Starting out in the brokerage arm of a big five Canadian bank, he quickly rose through the ranks of the industry before he then shifted his focus becoming a full-time real estate investor and derivatives trader. Omar holds a BA in economics from the University of Toronto. He currently spends his professional life trading derivatives, building his real estate portfolio, and promoting the core values of Theta Trading. Without any further delays, let's get started. Omar Khan, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me on, Patrick. I really appreciate the opportunity. So, Omar, uh, you know, you come by this quite, quite honestly, an old friend and a former Rain member, was a Rain member for a number of years, Cam McCarroll, former Rain member, and I worked with him many years ago. I did a little bit of coaching with him, and uh, he reached out to me and said, dude, you got to talk to my partner, Omar. He's awesome. So here you are, and I'm glad to have you on the show. Thanks. I hope I can live up to the expectations. No doubt about it, Omar. So let's start with uh, giving the listeners some insights into who is Omar. So opening question I'd like to start with is if it's a, it's a, if it's a two-minute uh, elevator pitch and somebody says, Omar, what do you do? What's your answer these days? Uh, quite frankly, I'm, a, I'm an investor, first and foremost. I've recently moved into the educating uh, platform, education platform, but for the, for the most part, I'm an investor. The difference is I understand two different asset categories pretty thoroughly, both real estate and the stock market. So I came from the stock world. Uh, and in 2008, 2009, the stock market took an absolute beating, uh, which led me to think, you know, I need to diversify my asset base. So I joined Rain in 2010, uh, and I subsequently built a you know, portfolio north of, uh, of 30 properties, and I continually traded in the meantime. So you know, that's what I do now. I, I, the, the good thing about what I do is, and, and, and knowledge in general, is when you're able to understand multiple asset categories, you're able to know where your dollars are best allocated. The problem with most people is they don't understand. So that's that's essentially who I am and uh, what I believe in. So let's go back a little ways. Now, you're a part of the RAIN community out of uh, Ontario. You're based out of, where, where are you based out of in Ontario, Omar? Mississauga. Uh, to Mississauga. And so when did you start investing in real estate? I started in 2010. Uh, it was a funny story. I, I The stock market took a beating in 2008, 2009 with a financial collapse. And I said, you know what, I've got to, I can't have all my assets in one asset category. So I was going to never do that again. 
So I was driving down a neighboring city, my Milton, and I saw these semis, the new semis going up for sale. I just bought two of them. That's all I knew. I didn't know what I was doing. And then I joined Rain. And then I learned the right way to buy real estate. <laughs> I just bought these two things because they were, I was like, okay, well, there's two semis, you know, linked to the garage. Now I bought them for $350,000 a piece in hindsight. Excellent move, but done for the wrong reasons. I did not do it for the right reasons. Subsequently, when I joined Rain, I actually learned how to buy real estate, which is for cash flow. Uh, so yeah, it was a great learning experience for me. Well, about three hundred and fifty thousand back ten, uh, eleven years ago, yeah. 2010, 11 years ago. So, it, it, do you still happen to own those properties? I have one of them. Yeah, so it's, it's, you have one of them. So you probably did okay. Probably did okay. I think it's about <laughs> maybe around a million or so right now. So yeah, I did just fine. Yeah, so good for you. Now, when we look at uh, you talked about you were in the trading. What were you trading? Were you a financial advisor? You're in the wealth management uh, category. What were you? What were you doing? prior to real estate that you had the epiphany in 2008? Well, I was, a, I was working in the industry as a, as a trader and a wholesaler, a mutual funds wholesaler, and I had all my assets in the stock market. Now, mm. the stock market took a beating in 08 or 09, and it does that from time to time, which is fine. Same with the real estate market. The real estate market, people don't realize, but it will, or at least it has in the past, you know, like, for example, 1987 to 1999, it was stagnant. But people have short memories. The same thing with the stock market. It took a beating. But what it made me realize is I cannot have all my money in one asset category. So I took a portion of my assets. I learned the right way. And I started systematically acquiring real estate. And over the next 10 years, I acquired a substantial real estate portfolio. But I did it the right way through knowledge. Now, so instead of trading, that's part of the that's part of the kind of the game that you're playing now. So in the education business, you're actually supporting people in learning how to expand on a portfolio. Are you into strictly stocks or you're trading options? What's the game that you're playing? Futures? What 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 are you doing in that world uh, now? Yeah, good question, Patrick. So um, in the in, this, in the traditional sense, I'm going to give you an analogy of how how it works. Okay, so. Imagine you have uh, you run across a duplex, and the duplex costs five hundred thousand dollars. Okay, right? Mm -hmm. I know it's not. A, I know it's not. It doesn't exist at least in Southern Ontario. It's like a unicorn. What, what, what year was that? What right, right, that? exactly. Yeah, right, it did exist a few years ago. Right, I was buying an Hamilton. I was buying for like hundred and eighty grand, but those days are gone. Let's just say hypothetically, you run across a real estate for, uh, uh, duplex, and it's five hundred thousand dollars. Okay. And you go to the homeowner, you know what? I know the fair value is 500 or even higher, 550 maybe even, but I, I, I'm happy to buy it for 500,000. What if you told that homeowner, you know what homeowner? I'll agree to buy your duplex for 490,000 for one month, one month from now, okay? And you're gonna pay me an additional $10,000 just for me agreeing to buy it for 490 grand. What would that homeowner say to you? They'd say, you're crazy. They're like, get out of my, get out of my property. Don't talk to me again. You cannot do that in the real estate market, but you can do that in the stock market. Most people are largely unaware. So what I do is I play the options market. So for example, Apple is trading at 125 today. I think a year from now, Apple will be worth about 170, right? I then agree to buy Apple, let's say in one month for 122 and a half. It's currently at 125 and someone pays me three or $4. The worst thing that's gonna happen to me is I own Apple and that too at a discount and I got paid a few bucks. So this is what we do day in and day out. So what we had done over the years, Patrick, is we had we taught a bunch of people to trade because we just enjoyed it. A lot of Rain members, in fact. In fact, I'd bug people at Rain. I'd be like, you guys should learn how to trade because it'll be a great thing for your overall well-being. Uh, and then we taught about 50, 100 or so friends and family, and it got larger and larger. And uh, a year and a half ago, uh, we partnered up with someone and they said, you know what, why don't we teach everyone? And here we are, you know, a year and a half later, we have 1,100 members in our community and growing every day. So it's been a great experience. So Omar, what I'm getting through all of this is that, you know, during COVID and what's going on in the COVID world today, you know, there's certainly a lot to be said for the rising asset classes, you know, the valuations. Uh, certainly people are fearful of the equity market because it may go away and uh, there's, there's a potential bubble there. The real estate is an issue because people are fearful of the bubble there if they're not understanding the economic fundamentals of what's going on. The world that you're playing in is around options. So calls, puts, I don't know what else is in that category. So really, you're looking at how do you hedge and diversify out of real estate, not out of real estate, but beyond just real estate. Yeah, I have, not, no, no, I have lots of real estate. There's a reason I hold lots of real estate because I can draw from those assets and I can add to those assets when the opportunity exists. 
But if I only understand one asset category, that's going to be a very difficult challenge on my part. So what we do on the stock side is we look at the highest quality stocks, such as Apple, such as Facebook, such as Microsoft. We then act as a de facto insurance company. So for example, if, if Microsoft is trading at 250, we'll say, you know what, we'll agree to buy Microsoft for 240. But for that, someone might pay us five, six, seven dollars for the month just to agree to buy Microsoft for a discount. So going back to that house analogy, imagine you went to a homeowner who had a duplex on sale for 500 grand. And I know that doesn't exist anymore, of course, those days are long done, but let's just say in fairyland, fantasy land, it does exist, okay? And you go to a homeowner, you don't say, you know what, homeowner? I think in a year from year, your house is gonna be worth 550, but today it's worth 500. I'll take it off your hands for 490 grand in one month. But for me agreeing to buy it for 490 grand, you're going to pay me $10,000. The homeowner may chase you off the lawn, right? You might get the cops calling you because it's so absurd. You cannot do this in a real estate market because I would be making offers left, right, and center and collecting those premiums. But you can do this in a stock market. So what we do is we take those premiums. That's what I've done over the years. I've taken those premiums that I received just for agreeing to buy these stocks and then systematically acquire real estate with it so that they work in tandem. Your real estate spits off positive cash flow, which then goes into your trading account. Your trading account gets larger and larger and larger. That spits out more cash flow, which allows you to buy more real estate. Until one day you say, you know what? I've had enough. I've reached my own personal beliefs and I'm done. And the best thing about what we do is it only takes us about 30 minutes a day. So that's pretty awesome. So let me, you know, let, let's just talk a little bit about what's going on in the world today. You know, just before we start getting in, because I, I certainly want to go on in, on a journey into some of your background on all of this Omar. But let's talk a little bit about what's going on today. When we look at what's happening, given COVID, uh, given kind of the, the the global reset or whatever people want to refer that to, yeah. as, uh, you know, to that as, you know, we look at what's happening. We're seeing commodities uh, really kind of start to take off. We're looking at cryptocurrencies, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum and Dogecoin and all of the things that are happening. So give me your kind of perspective of what's happening in the world today when it comes to the equity market, when it comes to these new and expanding uh, asset classes, uh, particular cryptocurrencies. And uh, and I still want, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about commodities. What are you seeing in the commodity market and EFTs, that kind of stuff? So that's a big conversation, but let's let's just start to dig in. How do you how do you view the crypto world these days? I don't invest in anything I don't understand. And I don't understand the crypto world, so I stay far away from it. However, I do participate in the crypto market through companies that I invest in, Visa and PayPal. So I do own a lot of Visa, a lot of PayPal, and they are indirectly exposed to the crypto market. Mm -hmm. uh, but just like Warren Buffett, just like the best investors in the world, I do not invest in things that I do not understand that I'm not sure about. Same thing with you know when it comes to real estate. It would be more speculative than anything else. And so we stay far away from that because it'll get you in trouble. Uh, if you want to learn about crypto and you're comfortable investing it, great. Uh, it's not what we do. But we're seeing that. I mean, the, the, the reason I bring it up is that within the community of not just rain, but just within the real estate investor community, I'm hearing more and more people talk about commodities and EFTs and commodities such as, you know, I, I don't know, you can't call crypto. Can you call crypto a commodity? Not really. But we look at gold, you look no. at silver, you look what's happening in the uh the agriculture world. And I'm just wondering when you look at and when you consider what you're doing in terms of uh, options trading, is there opportunities within that options world to play in the commodity uh, space? Yeah, there is. If you'd like to, again, it's not something we do. We don't do futures because I don't know enough about commodities. I, don't, I Again, I've never invested in something I don't understand. Commodities are going through a transitory inflationary period, in my opinion. Why? Because Supply has been constrained for so long, okay? Now you have a reopening of the economy and all this pent-up demand. Now people are wanting to buy lumber, buy steel, buy all this stuff, but it hasn't been produced at the same capacity in the last 15 months that it was before then. So what are you going to experience? Transitory inflation. And that's exactly what's occurring right now. If you look at, if you're building a property, if you're building, you know, I just went through a construction project a couple of years ago. I look at the commodity prices back then versus now. I'm really happy I finished the project up a couple of years ago because it would have been a nightmare to finish it up now, right? Now, this is, in my opinion, transitory. It's not going to be persistent because supply will eventually catch up to demand. But in the short run, this could push asset prices on the real estate side higher. 
Gotcha. So let's go back a little bit. You know, uh, Omar, where did you start your journey? Now, you grew up where? Were you uh, born in Canada? Were you born outside of Canada? Immigrant parents? What's your what's your kind of your background? Yeah, I was born in Pakistan. Uh, my parents came to Canada when I was four years old. I was in the Canadian military for four years. I uh, went to the University of Toronto, got an economics degree, came out completely financially literate. Can you imagine <laughs> going to the number 12 economics school in the world? I didn't know what, I didn't even know how money worked. Right? I was certainly prepared to get a job and apply my theory, but did I know how to grow my money? No. So, uh, you know, when you grow up in an immigrant household, you learn things a certain way. My parents always taught me, you want to buy a car, pay for it cash. You, know, you want to buy a house, pay for it cash. That is not the right way of doing this, but it's all they knew. So when I got older, I was, I was very intent on not being, you know, broke, not broke, but I, I didn't want to be middle class. I didn't want to be like, you know, just getting by. I wanted to have an abundance of wealth. So I started learning. I started trading in 1998 in my uh, last year of university. And over the years, I learned how to trade very, very well. And that allowed me to acquire a lot of properties over the years because I learned through rain how to buy properties the right way. So I had a, now I have a sizable real estate portfolio. I've got a sizable trading account. I don't have to work again a day in my life, which is a great place to be. You know why? Because if I wasn't in this position, I would not have been able to start beta a year and a half ago. If you need money, you can't do certain things. It's a great place to be. And I'm really excited about the future because I get to teach people every day how to become independent, how to, how to live the life that they want through knowledge. And I cannot stress this enough. Just like I learned from Rain, and that's real estate knowledge. Knowledge is the absolute key to freedom. Without knowledge, you'll never get there. As Warren Buffett said, and I think he said it best, if you don't figure out a way to make money while you sleep, you will work till the day you die. And that applies to real estate investors. And that's why real estate works so well. So when you look back, you know, in the years, you know, I'm always interested because I think it's, I'm always interested in people that immigrate to Canada. Your parents came here when they were four years old. They came out of Pakistan and I go, wow, you know, imagine they'd probably never been to Canada before. That's an assumption. But, you know, what's this, what's your parents' story for you as a young man growing up? Why did they leave Pakistan to come to Canada? What was the kind of the motivation for them? Uh, was there a lot of unrest in Pakistan back at that time? Uh, were they not feeling safe? What, what brought them to Canada? No, there was no problems back then in terms of feeling safe. They just knew the opportunity was so much greater in Canada. We already had a bunch of family in Canada. So my parents immigrated. And, and you know what the one thing that stressed on me from an early age? And my parents both spoke English because, you know, being a former British colony, you know, English is a very prevalent language in Pakistan. So there's no language barrier. Uh, my, my, both my parents uh, got university degrees from uh, the University of Arkansas, of all places. But uh, the thing that I found uh, when I was growing up, my parents told me, they stressed this on me and my brothers incessantly. They said, if you three don't go to university, we're going to kill you. It was it was <laughs> unknown. Like, I, like it wasn't, there was no debate. And it wasn't like I could take geography or, you know, English literature, art history. You pick science, technology, engineering, or math. If you don't pick one of those three and you don't complete a degree, we're going to kill you. And the reason they said that is because they left they left everything they knew. They left their brothers, their sisters, their parents, and they watched them all die over the years and not being able to communicate with them. So they wanted a better life for us. They brought us to this country to give us a better life. Uh, that's one of the reasons I joined the military is because I, I, I felt an obligation to this country because of all it had provided to me and my family. And I'm very proud to be Canadian. I'm a, I'm a, if you ever talk to me, you know me personally, I'm probably one of the most hardcore Canadians that you'll ever meet. I'll, I'll, I'll I love this country. It's, it's, it's given me everything. And uh, I, I'm forever grateful uh, for that. And, and now I want to teach a bunch of people how to live the life that they want so that eventually they can help the next generation getting into philanthropy down the road. That is something big that I'd like to get into. And I'd like to have our community more involved in down the road. So when you look back at that time, now you, you know, you grew up and you became, you went to university, uh, you went and, and got a job, by the sounds of it, it was where you yep. started, and then you transitioned into being an entrepreneur. So where did that, where, where did that entrepreneurial spirit come from? Was that something that your parents supported you around or, or was it just something you transitioned into? Was it something that was in behind where you were actually always driven to be an entrepreneur? How did that show up for you? Yeah, I think I was always driven to be an entrepreneur, but the opportunity never existed, right? When I was uh, growing up, I didn't have the money. I, I, I left university with OSEP, you know, student debt. You have to, you know, get yourself out of that. 
Then you have to, you know, buy a home, establish a family. So over the years, as I acquired more real estate, as my trading account got larger and larger, uh, one day, and I was getting paid a lot of money uh, in my job. I was getting paid really, really well. And a lot of perks, you know, traveling around the around the world. In fact, you know, I had a corporate credit card, lost a big expense account. It was no reason to leave. But I never wanted to live with regret. I don't want to look back on my life and say, oh, I could have done this, but I was too scared to do it. So uh, seven years ago, seven and a half years ago now, I left my job. Uh, at the time, we had three young kids, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a full-time nanny. And I said to my wife, I said, I'm never, ever in my life going back to work. And the reason I was able to do that is because I knew in my mind, I, I knew what to do. I had about a dozen properties by then. I had a big trading account. I knew that I would never have to go back because I had the knowledge and therefore I had the confidence. All I'm trying to do now is replicate that with as many people as possible so that, that they can live their life, that they can live their the life that they want. Does that make sense? Yeah, you bet. Now, when you look at your real estate, when you started to get into real estate, what drove you initially to get into the real estate uh, kind of world? Yeah, exactly that. The 2008-2009 financial crash, stock market it. went down considerably. And uh, and I thought to myself, you know what, I know the stock market very well. And I know it always recovers. Every single time it's gone down, it's always recovered. I knew it was going to recover. That wasn't the problem. The problem was I was like, you know what, I don't want to put all my eggs in this one basket ever again. So I started learning how to buy real estate. I told you about those two properties in Milton. Didn't know what I was doing. And then I started buying in Hamilton because exactly of what I learned through Rain. And I systematically acquired lots of properties in Hamilton. I think I had 37 or so last year. Uh, I paired it back significantly since then. I've added to my trading account. But that's exactly how I did it. I acquired it through uh, my, my, my trading profits. Just out of curiosity, you've got that kind of entrepreneurial spirit. Did uh, what about your your siblings? You have brothers, sisters, both. What what? Where, yeah, where did they go? I got two brothers. Uh, one's a cop. One's a Canada Border Security. So they're uh, but they both, right? they both they both they both they both trade though. They both trade on the side, but they're both uh, they're both uh, in a different field altogether. My brother's a so, cop. My my young my my younger brother Canada Border Security. Uh, my middle brother, I'm the oldest. Uh, he is a Metro Toronto detective. So. so got it. So when you look at your real estate journey, when you, and I'm, I'm curious is when you got into the rain community, what was it about the rain community that worked for you? And uh, I don't often ask that question of rain members, but what was it for you within the community? You were part of it for, what did you say? Seven years? Seven years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, so what what sorry, go ahead, friend. Yeah, it was just what was it about the community or what was it about rain aside from the education? Because, you know, my, my fundamental realization in coaching thousands of people over the past 20 years and from stage, you one on one, one on many and all the rest of that stuff is that knowledge is one part of it. But you still have to be able to take that knowledge and put it into action. Otherwise, we well, I'll say if, if more information was the answer, we'd all be billionaires with six packs. And the reality is that we have to take that knowledge and put it to work. So. With, with first question for you is within the rain community, what was it that, what did you get the most out of in the rain community? Uh, what I got the most out of the rain community was the ability to network as well. Obviously the education was great. I'm a huge fan of Don Campbell. Uh, so that was great. I love those the monthly economic updates, but the networking was also substantial for me. Uh, all the people that I met, uh, the people I introduced trading to, friends of mine to this day, uh, you know, people I've done business with, with all met through rain, right? Because uh, I would go there and I would talk about real estate and, you know, we talk about this. Then I would also tell them about the stock market. I'm like, you guys are missing a huge opportunity because you refuse to open your eyes. And then I got a few of them to finally go. And then they loved it. They're like, this is the best thing ever. How come you didn't tell me earlier? And I go, I did tell you, you didn't bother listening. And that is why we established this company uh, is because I honestly, we, I think we taught about a hundred people. And a lot of those people were rain people, but I really enjoyed my time at rain. Uh, it gave me the foundation to know for a lifetime uh, how to buy real estate. One thing I always found fascinating because I always just to sit at a different table every time. I would talk to people. I'm like, "How long have you been a member for?" And they would say like four years. And I'm like, "How many properties do you have?" Oh, zero. I'm like, "Okay." I I could not get over that. I'm like, just like you said, if knowledge was the key, without application, it means zero. So I learned a lot from Rain, and I think the best thing for me there was networking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So within your, you know, we talk often with Rain. You know, we talk about community, culture, environment, 
you know, I'm a very strong believer in surrounding yourself with like-minded people, putting yourself in a position of having conversations with people that understand where you're at, what you might be going through, uh, being able to get questions answered. Now, I'm sure within Theta, you are doing this, or Theta, you're doing the same thing, is that you're creating community. Is that the idea behind it? So you're actually in a community of people that are interested in that? How does it work? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a community of 1,100 people. Uh, it's a closed-end community on Facebook. Uh, we have coaching calls every Friday, every Thursday. Uh, we plan on having live events once life resumes. Uh, and we just talk about the same thing. Well, we, in the, in the, we mainly focus on trading and investing. But as it progresses, we're going to incorporate a lot more real estate into it because we do believe in both asset categories. The problem is, like I keep saying this, is most people only understand one asset category. If you only understand one asset category, how are you as an investor going to know, and our job as investors is to basically invest our assets in the most responsible, effective manner possible. If you only understand one asset category, how are you possibly gonna make that decision? You can't, right? Because you're just gonna keep trying, you're gonna keep trying to fit in one area because you don't know any different, right? So our job is to, teach both uh, with a main focus on trading, of course, and over time to create a community of like-minded individuals who are extremely wealthy that get into philanthropy down the road. It's a great community. If you've ever, uh, you know, if you've ever heard anyone from our, I'm sure you know, lots of RAIN members are part of our community. I'd probably, you know, ex-RAIN members or current RAIN members, I would garner to guess probably well north of 100. Uh, so it's a great community because we're all in this for long run. We all understand the journey and we understand why we're doing this. So. So now I'm uh, rather than make an assumption, I'll ask the question. Now, this isn't about day trading or is it possibly about day trading? Is it kind of uh, both long term, short term? Give me a little bit more of uh, what your kind of what's the general uh, initiative or uh, thesis, if you will, of doing the kind of investing that you're doing. Yeah, it's it's the same. It's, we don't day trade at all. Day trading is very time consuming and it's just dressing direction. So it's like flipping a coin. It's OK, fine. You might be more more right than wrong, but. It's far too much stress. Uh, like I said, again, what we do is we pick about 10 to 15 companies that we truly know and love. You know, your Apples, your Facebooks, your Microsoft, companies that we understand and use ourselves day in and day out. We then evaluate those companies and look at their long-term prospects. And then all we do essentially is agree to buy them for discounted prices. And we make a lot of money simply for agreeing to buy them for discounted prices. Now, remember, the worst thing that'll happen to us is that we own one of those companies. I don't care. I'm fine with owning one of those companies. So again, let's say uh, Facebook is uh, at Microsoft's at 250. I agree to buy Microsoft at 240 for one month, and someone pays me, let's say, seven dollars for that. Seven dollars a share is, you know, three percent for one month for agreeing to buy Microsoft for a ten dollar discount. And the worst that will happen to me is what I own Microsoft. Well, I would have bought it for 250 anyways. So that gives you goes back to that house analogy, right? So this is what we do systematically, day in, day out. Uh, and what the main purpose of this is, it's great to make money. But as Warren Buffett said, there's two rules to investing. First rule, do not lose your principal. Second rule, do not forget rule number one. So we always make it so our worst case scenario, and this happened to us during COVID, our worst case scenario is that we own a high quality stock or multiple high quality stocks. And if that is the case, then if a major downturn happened like COVID, we simply wait it out until they recover. And that's exactly what happened. And we made a ton of money last year, and that's what we do. So what? give me a little bit more insights into the program itself. Is this an online program? Is it uh, group coaching? Give me a little bit of a background on what, what is involved in it. Yeah, it's a pretty rigorous program. It's two full days of, uh, of online, so it's nine and a half hours each day, a Saturday and a Sunday. It's about offered once in every six months. Uh, sorry, six weeks. And then a third eight-hour day, which is learning on your own. So, and everything is on our portal. You can just review it and watch it. And then from there, you have six months of coaching that's included. And that's every Friday. You also get a daily newsletter that explains all of our trades. Why did we do this trade? Why did we agree to buy Microsoft for 220 bucks? For what reason? So all of our trades are there. Uh, what's going on in the markets. And a lot of this stuff, it's quite cranky. A lot of the real estate guys love about this is it's very interchangeable with real estate. So, for example, if you notice the 10-year treasury yield is going up right now. So, things like that. So, that's what we do. We have a lot of support that goes along with it, but it's a two-day class with one day on your own and then six months of support uh, and follow-up. I'm not, not going to sugarcoat this. In order to learn the stock market and learn it the right way, there's work involved. 
But the best thing is that the, nobody in this world can take away your knowledge. It's the same thing when I learned how to buy real estate with, with, through Rain. I know how to buy real estate now. Nobody can take that away from me. And the same thing applies to the stock market. Once you learn how to do it the right way, you can create immense amounts of wealth. But you won't ever learn how if you don't know how to do it, right? That's the idea. So that's great. So when you look at your kind of journey into this and now where you are financially in your position, you want to grow this business in terms of supporting others and creating that wealth. When you look five years down the road, 10 years, three years, whatever it is for you, what is your kind of a, what's some of your vision for your for your business? Uh, just to grow the business and grow the community. In a year and a half, we're at about 1,100 members. I'd like to grow well north of 10,000. Uh, and these people are, you know, a lot of, if you, I don't know if you, you've ever read our reviews, but they're, they're, they're very descriptive about how much has this changed their life. Uh, we want to grow the community. Uh, we've also got an asset management division that's going to be coming up soon. And the idea is to create a, a, lots of wealthy people. Well, there's wealth is an abundance. You just know how to, you have to know how to grab it. And the problem is most people don't know. All they know is real estate. They don't know anything else besides And quite frankly, most people don't even know how to buy real estate the right way. They know the wrong way to buy real estate. So when you learn how to buy and, 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 and play in both categories, you can create immense, amount of wealth, immense amounts of wealth. The idea is to create a community that is growing continuously so that we have a massive community so that down the road, we can do bigger and bigger things. That's the idea down the road. Our community is fantastic. It's a, it's a really good community. And yeah, it's from coast did, to coast, all the way from Halifax to Vancouver, Victoria. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I mean, we should, we, you know, within rain, we certainly get that. And, and so I really do relate well to what you're talking about. Now, when we, when you look at what you're doing today, Omar, it sounds like you've done a lot of, uh, maybe not, you know, have you done a lot of that personal development? You know, what kind of inspires you to help others? I mean, why isn't it just about you want to go make more money? Uh, so what's in behind that? What's your realization in wanting to be a contribution to others? Well, I, I, this is my own personal opinion, but I think after, after a certain amount of money, money, you know, this is actually an economic rule, diminishing marginal utility. There's not much more fun or happiness that you are going to derive from additional utility. They, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying, I, to me, that number is like, once you hit about $10 million in net worth and you have about a million dollars of income coming a year, beyond that, you know, there's not, fine, if you're into helicopters and planes and stuff like that, maybe, but for the, for the most part, for me, that's my threshold. Now, anything beyond that, there has to be additional motivation, right? And my motivation is to create as many multimillionaires as I can and so that I have that loyalty so that we can do bigger and bigger things, mainly philanthropy. So my down the road, that is exactly what I want to get into, much more into philanthropy. I want to give back and I want to continue to grow this business so that we create tons of millionaires. So in the context of being philanthropic, do you have a particular cause in behind what drives your philanthropy? Yeah, we have four of them. So the Oakville Hospital, uh, Sick Kids Hospital. Uh, we have a school in uh, Pakistan called uh, Doha School. And the last one is called the Khan Academy. That is the same last name as me. But the guy is not related to me in any way, shape, or form. I, I don't know him, uh, but I really admire his work. Now, that guy is basically, I don't know if you guys have ever gone to the Khan Academy, but they'll teach any subject matter to anyone around the world for free, okay? Their model is for life, for free, for everyone, okay? So as long as you have an internet connection, you're some kid in rural Africa, well, you can learn from, from high-quality tutors. It's free, right? So... I'd love to obviously give back to that uh, organization. Why? Because the root cause of a lot of problems in this world have to do with poverty and inequality. How do we solve this issue? Well, we solve this issue by educating people. It'll also create less social harm down the road. So this, this constant pursuit of money is a complete waste of time. It's like a dog chasing its tail. Eventually, you'll get bored of it, and it will not get you out of bed in the morning. Right. And I'm not saying that I don't want to make a killing. I obviously I want to make as much money as possible, but I want to do it so that I can do something productive with it. And I'm not so I can buy. I have no desire to buy certain things, but that doesn't you know, I've already been there, done that doesn't quite move the needle for me anymore. So when you look at what you've achieved and, and you know, what your some of your goals are, what motivates you? What kind of 
gets you out of bed in the morning? What inspires you? I get the whole context of supporting others to become wealthy and all the rest of it, but and I do really understand that. But what, where did that start to show itself? Where did you come by naturally? Did you have an epiphany once again? Was there a fork in the road beyond two thousand and eight, which was a financial crisis? But what? got you going on in this direction? Is there anything that you can put your finger on in that regard? Yeah. You know, when I was growing up, I'd see my parents arguing about money all the time. Okay. Always, always arguing about money. It was constant stress in my household. If you look at the amount of divorces, mental health issues, suicides, societal issues that are caused from a lack of resources, they're massive. Okay. So knowing this, just, just anecdotally and evidence-based, we know this already, okay? Now, the fact that we know this, you would think that the education system would put far greater emphasis on creating people who have financial literacy, financial knowledge. Zero is done in that regard. So what my goal is, is to do is because I personally have been the victim of financial illiteracy, right? It took me a long time to get out of OSAP, to figure out how to make money. It didn't have to be that way. So that is one of the biggest things that I'm com we're committed to here at Theta is teaching people how to become wealthy. Why? Because it causes all kinds of problems in life. You only need a certain amount of money. I'll completely agree to that. But getting to that amount of money is a challenge for most people. Once you're at that level, then you should focus on philanthropy and other more important things. Our job is to get as many people to that level as possible so that we create an awesome community and we grow from there. Because I guarantee, like for me personally, Buying another whatever is not going to get you out of bed. It's just not. There has to be a greater purpose. And that's our greater purpose, both our philanthropy and to grow our company so that it's a very valuable company so that we can we can throw those resources, the things that we believe in, right? Mm -hmm. So you shared the story <laughs> about you going to university, you take, uh, you get your, uh, sorry, I don't recall what your degree was in. It was in finance. Economics. 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 There, there you go. So you get a degree in economics and you come out of school and you have the realization that you don't know anything about money. Yeah. Um, or, yeah. So, <clears throat> so, like, how did you come even to that realization? So you're studying economics and uh, I mean, I'm sure it's very, very valuable in terms of some fundamental knowledge, at least uh, for what you're doing in the investment world. Uh, but where was your realization around what the hell do I know about money? I just went to university, uh, and got an economics degree, yet I don't understand it. Yeah, my realization when the first couple of jobs, you're getting paid peanuts and you're like, I got this student loan I got to get rid of. How am I going to buy a house? I got to start a family. And your, and your head starts spinning, right? How am I going to get out of this hole? And for us, because that was like a pre-internet day before YouTube, Myself and my business partner, who's also my best friend, Matthew Todman, we literally just trial and error ourselves out of it. We, we continually kept doing it. Because why? You know, what do they say? What is that, what is that saying? Uh, uh, in, necessity is the mother of all invention, right? Uh, it's necessity which caused us to get there. We had no choice. If we didn't do this, we would have been mired in that, in that, in that position of in mediocrity and, and, and substandard living for who knows how long. The reason we were able to get out of it is because we had a certain level of knowledge and we just continued to hone that and get it bigger and better and better and better. So when you look at what uh, kind of the, the in behind the scenes, you know, you're you're a leader in the space that you're a leader in. I'm often curious with leaders. Do you come by it naturally or is leadership something that you study? Is it something that you pay attention to or is it just kind of you get it because you get it? What, what is it for you? I think leadership is the ability to inspire and encourage other people by action and by knowledge. Uh, I think a lot of the leadership skills I got was from the military. Uh, it was That was the hardest thing I've ever gone through in my life. Four years of, it's hell, quite frankly. Basic training and other, it's not, it's not, it's not for the faint of heart. It, it, it challenges you and pushes you to your limits. So everything else becomes a lot easier afterwards. You're like, oh, that's so easy. I don't have to stay up for like, you know, 48 hours in a row or 72 hours or I don't get to eat for three days. This is a joke. So my, I think a lot of my leadership came from both being involved in team sports in, in high school and university and also the military. Uh, and I think it's, it's a skill that you have to work at. You have to develop. You have to be able to inspire, to encourage, to build, not tear down. And I think those, that's why I think it's vitally important. When we put our kids in, in, in sports. I don't know if they're going to go for the military because I personally, I think there's a lot of things that are to be gained by being in the military, but I understand a lot of people are against it. 
I'm just talking about the soft skills, not the military skills, but the soft skills that you get. You know, your ability to withstand mental pain, right? When you're pushed to the limit mentally, it becomes very easy to become, not easy, but it becomes much easier to become a good leader, right? Mm -hmm. But if you've been coddled your entire life and you've been sheltered your entire life, the world's a mean, rough, nasty place and it'll run you over if you don't do something about it. And I think that's where my leadership skills come from. And of course, I continue to hone them. I know I've done... Uh, I did strategic coach. I do. I've done tons of Tony Robbins courses, uh, and I continually work at it because I want to build something that uh, that I can be proud of, that my children can be proud of. Yeah, yeah. So that's great. I mean, that's. I, I guess that's what I was looking for. Is is you know, is leadership something that you you know, is it a skill that you continue to train and develop and evolve? And and you talked about you know Tony Robbins or strategic coach. The point is, is that you're actually uh, taking action in. in I guess, refining your leadership skills to be a better leader. And, and it's interesting because I interview a lot of people. Not everybody does that. And then others are, that's what it's all about. They spend every day at some level, whether it's 10 minutes or an hour or whatever it is, they're actually ongoing developing those skills. When you were in the, when you were in the military, were you, uh, where were you stationed to begin with? Like, so you took your training where in the military? Born in Petawawa. Petawawa. And then did you, did you go out? Uh, were you shipped off somewhere? Did you? I, I tried to. I tried. No, actually, I was in the mid 90s. So back then there was the oh. uh, Yugoslavia was falling apart. Yeah. yeah. And I signed up for what the. What country uh, was falling apart? Yeah. What, what country yeah. was falling apart at that yeah, time? I, I signed up for a six month tour of duty and my mother was like, she was livid. She was like, you volunteered. She's like, you're going to get killed. And your mind, she was, it was all done to drama. You know, and so. I didn't get picked because uh, it was a very competitive process to get picked. Uh, it wasn't that easy, actually, because you know, it only took a certain amount of peacekeepers, the United Nations, from each country. Uh, and, you know, I would have loved to have gone, but hey, uh, that's life. You know, so uh, how many years have you been married now? Uh, was it uh, 19? Crazy. Oh, good answer. So, okay, it took you a little bit. So question always that I think is uh, important for entrepreneurs, business owners, how important has your significant other been on your journey or each other's journey, uh, not assuming that she's a stay home, you know, work from home, whatever it is, mom, for you, when you look at the relationship that you have with your wife, how important has that been? Yeah, obviously, stability at home is vitally important. My wife's a teacher. Uh, she's got a master's in education from uh, McMaster, and she went, she's got three different degrees. I only have one degree, so she's far more educated than I am. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. She wins. She wins. She wins that one. Right. But <laughs> the difference... The difference is, you know, she provides a lot of stability at home and stuff like that with obviously the kids because the kids have to be grounded. We want them to do really well in the future. Uh, and I take care of the more of the entrepreneurial stuff, which is, you know, growing our finances, growing our our, our real estate, growing our, our trading account so that everyone is able to live the life that they want. So that balance and both people doing their jobs creates a, a very good environment. I couldn't do it without her. Yeah. So when you look at what you've learned uh, over the years in the education system, what are you going to do with your kids? Are you going to send them to public schools? Are you going to homeschool them? What's your kind of, what's your plans just out of curiosity? No, definitely public school. I don't believe in private school at all. Uh, private school, I've seen, I've, I saw a lot of kids in private school. The only thing they had on everybody else was uh, connections. They had more connections, but what they lacked was empathy uh, they lacked, uh, not always, of course, they lacked the ability to communicate. Their social skills were weaker. Uh, and I believe, you know, what, what made a lot of the people that I saw uh, successful later on in life was hardship. The unfortunate part of our parenting style is we try to remove this hardship out of our kids' lives. And we try to shelter them, thinking we're doing them, we're, we're, this is going to be beneficial. It's not beneficial. It's going to cause problems down the road because we're coddling them, we're making them weaker. I don't believe in that at all. I make I believe in making you know those kids strong and uh, and we are actually launching something called Theta Kids. Uh, it's actually almost done, but we haven't had a chance to do it yet because we need a live environment to do it. And that is giving basic financial literacy to kids from 12 to about 19 or 20. Basic stuff. What is a credit score? How do I create a budget? How do I open an account? How do I grow my assets? Like for example, like you know what is a mutual fund? Why do I need to buy a house? And then just going over stats and then teaching them, like, you want to be wealthy, right? Because all these kids love to be, you know, they, they want to live that Instagram lifestyle and they want to, you know, so-called ball out or whatever it is, but they don't have any idea how to get there. So if you tell them, hey, you want to live this lifestyle? Great. Sit down and learn, right? And we want to teach them at a very young age so they don't make all the mistakes that I made. So all the mistakes that, you know, people of my generation, your generation 
know, our generation, all the mistakes that we made in our generation, they don't make those same mistakes, right? Like my first day in university, 18 year old kid, University of Toronto. And I, and I think University of Toronto's economics program is ranked 12th in the world. So it wasn't easy to get into. And it certainly wasn't easy to pass, okay? My first day of school, they're handing out $1,000 credit cards from Citibank. I signed up. I didn't know what the hell a credit card was. Never seen one in my life. I skipped the first day of school, went right to square one, blew my entire $1,000, destroyed my credit. I didn't understand how the whole compound interest thing. How could that be, right? Mm -hmm. Should that be the case? Where someone comes to school, you know, university completely, woefully unprepared. I think that has to change. You know, something I had to, you know, there's a, I share this story. Uh, I've shared it probably a couple times on the show, but uh, a guest that we had on the show, Mark Workington, very, very successful uh, lawyer in British Columbia, uh, very successful in his world of investing in real estate. And, uh, you know, his, his children, his kids are now young adults and, uh he was brought up very humble, very, very humble background. His, you know, his, his father was a pastor. His mother was a stay-at-home mom. The question I asked Mark at the time, I said, so Mark, you've created all this wealth. You've been doing this very, very successfully. Is, you know, what's your intention? Is this just a legacy for your children? And it was interesting because it was an in-studio interview. And he looked at me and he said, why would I do that to my children? Totally agree. With you. I completely and, and and it was really interesting because he shifted a real fundamental. He says, you know, at the end of the day, I'll I'll make sure my kids are clothed. I'll get them off to school. My kids are, you know, they're off the chart smart, way smarter than I was. He had a story around that, but that's great. But he said, you know, I am who I am because of the lessons I had to learn along Absolutely. the way. And he says, as much as we want to protect our children, the reality of it is, is they need to fall down. They need to screw up. They need to Absolutely. make those mistakes. And I literally have built my businesses and my real estate because of what I had to do and uh, the lessons I had to learn the hard way. And if I take that away from my children, uh, what are they learning? And, and I went, you know, it's such an interesting you know, switch to flip when you look at the world that way. Because we do, we want to make sure our kids don't learn the, the hard lessons the way we learn the lessons. But yeah. guess what? At the end of the day, we are who we are. You are who you are because of that Citibank experience or whatever it was on that visa. That's part sure. of your journey. And it's, oh, it's just, was just, you know, I always appreciated Mark sharing that story because even for me in that moment, I went, ah, that's a very, very interesting way to look at it, especially for so many parents that I'm listening to that always want to build legacy for their kids and make it easier for their kids. And, you know, Mark just spending goes, why would I make it easy for my kids? <laughs> it wasn't yeah, easy yeah, for I, me. And that's who I am. I, come, you know? I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Warren Buffett actually called it a silver dagger. He's like, mm -hmm. if you give your kids these things, you might as well put a silver dagger in their back because that's what you're doing. You're paralyzing mm -hmm. them. And if you look at just statistically speaking, look at it, look at a family like the Vanderbilts in the United States. Vanderbilts in the, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, were the wealthiest families in America. Now, if you look at their descendants, they're pretty much broke now, okay? None of that money is left. Now, you ask yourself, is it the money that lasts or is it the, is it the lessons that last? It's the lessons that last. So our job is to not give them money. I don't think that's a very good idea at all because, you know, imagine you're, you're, you're a 20-year-old you know, kid and your parents give you a bunch of cash. What are you going to do with it? I know what I would have done with it, and it would not have been very good, right? Mm. Our job, because lessons last, money doesn't. Even if you look at the third generation law, right? If you look at the third generation business, third generation business is always, you know, is, is when there's a high tendency for things to go wrong. First generation builds it. Second generation watches the struggle, learns the lessons, continues it. Third generation doesn't know a damn thing, has no appreciation of how it started, and they destroy the entire business. That is, that is statistically proven. So we need to focus our attention on lessons and hardships and knowledge, not on giving money. That is an absolute waste. Uh, so I, I, I completely agree with him. Beautiful. So Omar, as we start to kind of wind the show down, what I always like to do is uh, end up having a little bit of a more con, uh, you know, a little bit of fun and some conversation around uh, some rapid fire questions. And, uh, they're generally not all that rapid fire. <laughs> they can be or they cannot be. We'll see where this one goes today. So uh, are you ready for some uh, rapid fire? Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Book that you've read that's been the most influential or the book that you have gifted the most? Uh, good to great. Good to great. That was a very, very good book, wasn't it? You know, Fantastic. Uh, a good, Especially when you're yeah. building a business. Yeah. 
that book uh, was recommended to me many years ago by a very, very, very wealthy uh, friend of mine. And he's, he, he was in the book, but he, so, but he, that's, that's not good. why he recommended it. He, he said, it was, he's one of the guys in the business in the book, and, but he said, he said, you need to read it. They've done an amazing, amazing job. And uh, I read it a couple of times. So I thought Good to Great was uh, really, really powerful. Yeah, if, if you're going to build an organization, Good to Great uh, is it should be a foundation for building your company, learning the different things. And you know what you know what I'm talking about. I encourage everyone to read that book. Yeah, favorite swear word? The F word. You're an F bomber too, hey? That seems to be. I swear story. often, but I obviously I try to I try to curtail my swearing when I'm in this. And I always I always I always justify it. Say you know the most intelligent people in the world swear often. Uh, but that, that's definitely my favorite <laughs> Yeah, somebody once told me that people who swear just don't have a really great command of the English language. And it's always interesting. I ask my guests, some will say the F word. Some uh, some will actually go, fuck. You know, like, it's, just, it's just like, fuck. <laughs> I didn't know we were yeah. allowed to, so I was, I was refraining. <laughs> hey, there's, listen, there's no rules here. We we just go with what we go with. You know, you're, you're, you're the guest, so you're welcome, whatever you do. Do you have an inspirational quote that you, uh, that you kind of refer to or anchor to sometimes? Yeah, Mahatma Gandhi, be the change that you wish to see in the world. So if I want to see something change, if I want to see something done, I have to be the example of that change that I wish to see. If enough people adopt that model where they are representing the change they want to see, it becomes a it becomes a leader follower thing. Enough people are doing it, others will follow. Be the change that you want to see. Yeah, you know, and it's uh, I love that quote as well. And uh, many years later, even just when every time I hear it, say it, 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 there's another depth of meaning or understanding. It's it's not just some words, you know, be the change. There's a lot of depth in that particular quote. It's one of why it's one of my favorites. Room, desk or car? What do you clean first? Room, desk or car? Yeah, I clean none of those. You don't clean any of those. I don't clean anything. I, I learned a long time ago, outsource, systemize, and delegate. I let someone else do all these things. <laughs> okay, so, so which... Zero time. <laughs> what, I get that part, but what is the... Uh, what, what do you delegate the most? Like, what, if, what do you have to have? Uh, you know, is, are you a car guy in that you've got to have that kind of that spotless car, your desk, your, your, you know, your office, your room? What is it? Is there one part of it or it's just always got to be kind of neat and tidy? Yeah, it's always got to be in tidy, but I'm I'm not doing it myself. That's I'm Adam and Donald. Zero yeah, well, that, <laughs> Got it. That, yeah. No, I understand that part really, really well. So, uh, do you have a favorite tune? I'll give my favorite artist, Tupac Shakur. There you go. My favorite tune from him would be "Dear Mama." Have you ever heard it before? But it's great. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna Google that and look it up. And uh, how about movie? Favorite movie? Shawshank Redemption, The Struggle, The Perseverance. Mm-hmm. The ability to get out of hardship and mentally overcome everything that was thrown your way. I'm a big believer in this, and I've witnessed it in my own life. Life will literally beat you to hell if you allow it to. But if you keep pushing, if you keep improving, you can win. But if you give up and you and you and you get down on yourself, it's game over. And I think that movie uh, embodies the the you know the 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 human spirit and the ability to persevere and overcome. Yeah, I've uh, often had guests when I ask that that question about what your favorite movie is, he goes, whatever the kids are watching. <laughs> that's whatever the kids are watching that week. Well, that's what it is now. But yeah. <laughs> Shawshank is a great, great movie, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, it it does. It I've, I've watched that movie probably three or four different times and have uh, appreciated it and kind of looked at it differently each time. And it's that kind of movie. So that's that's great. So what's a job that you do that you know you shouldn't do, but you do it anyways? Uh, a job that I do that I... Um, that You're talking I, about delegating. So are you pretty clean on that? You're going, nope, I, it's out. It's out. Yeah, I don't do anything. I, 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 I learned that from Strategic Coach. I took this course with Dan Sullivan a few years ago. Yeah. And it was a very expensive course, but I learned something very valuable. Outsource, systemize, and delegate. So anything in my life that I don't want to spend time doing, I don't do. I focus all my energy on my business, on trading and on real estate, things that I'm good at that give me value add because that's going to allow me to make the greatest impact, right? You know, so we had a live-in nanny for like nine years. You know, I always have people cleaning my cars and cutting grass and shoveling driveways and fixing the, the hot tub or I don't do anything. Like literally, I don't know where anything is. And I would encourage people to strongly look at it because people are going to look at the other way. Oh, I can't afford to have someone cut my grass. I say you can't afford not to. Because you free up time. Time is the most valuable commodity. 
not money. Well, it's interesting you say that. You know, it's an interesting point of discussion. You know, um, when I lived in the city, I had mowed my lawn for 20 years. Uh, when we moved into British Columbia, we, you know, we lived in a townhouse for a while, which that was all handled. Then we lived in a, a high rise in downtown Vancouver. But now I'm, uh, for the past several years, we've lived on five acres of land. And although I'm very busy in my businesses, it's interesting for me that doing things like mowing my lawn or working out in my yard or, you know, hacking down a tree or digging a hole, whatever it might be on my property has become really part of my, uh, it's, it's cathartic for me. It's also uh, one of the ways that I can disengage from the business and re-engage more powerfully because I've had that time. So it's an interesting dynamic in terms of what we do or don't do, but I 100% agree. It's my wife and I, like we, we joke, we we haven't cleaned our house for 25 or 30 years. You know, it's, that was one of the first things we did you know, <laughs> many years ago. I don't uh, even know where things are in my house. Like, I'm, I'm, like, where, where is it? I'm like, I don't know. I, go, I don't know where it is. <laughs> That's so true. And I, I, the caveat to that, what you're saying is exactly right. Unless you, if you enjoy something thoroughly, like if you enjoy gardening and it gives you peace and it grounds you, then that's something you should continue. I understand you can outsource it. But if it's something that gives you peace and, and you enjoy it, great, do it. But for the most part, I don't think anyone enjoys going to Costco on Saturday and grabbing loads of diapers. And who enjoys that? Whatever. Yeah, yeah. So true. So um, and, and it's something you you, you uh, mentioned, Dan Sullivan. I'm a big Dan Sullivan fan. And uh, I mean, it's, it's interesting, Dan with Strategic Coach. Uh, I mean, gosh, he's he's been a legend for so many years. You'd think the guy's 100. You know, he's such a legend. And uh, Dan has done uh, some amazing, amazing work within that Strategic Coach for Have you for taken it as well? Entrepreneurs. I've done, I haven't been part directly part of his program, but indirectly I've been part of his program. So yeah, I'm very familiar with Dan's work, and uh, yeah. it's really, really powerful stuff. It was one of the smartest things I ever did. When I learned how to finally outsource and delegate everything out of my life, uh, it freed up immense amounts of time, which created uh, you know, a huge amount of opportunity for me, on, not only on the real estate side, but allowing me to grow my business, because I used to do the same thing before. I would go to on Saturday, three young kids, I'd pick up like a, like a full, you know, complete SUV full of diapers and formula and whatnot, and I'm like, when I learn this, I'm like, why am I wasting my time doing this? I can just get it delivered. I don't need to do this. Right? I've got now all this free time. I can start a business. I can do all these other things. But yeah, really good course. Yeah. So, you know, which speaks to the whole point of, you know, being an entrepreneur, being in business, uh, you know, even in career development, you know, we have to reach outside uh, of ourselves to gain that kind of upper or, or to expand on our education, the knowledge that you've talked about quite a lot. So uh, last question uh, for today and uh, so much appreciation, but uh, Omar, what are you grateful for? I'm grateful for being alive, you know, being on the right side of the grass, being healthy, being, you know, having my mind, you know, not, not being in poverty. You know, I think about, I think about this constantly. If my parents hadn't come to this country, I could literally be driving some rickshaw halfway around the world. And I would know no different. Think of it. Right. So it, it my, my job, my obligation, my duty is to grow immense amounts of wealth so I can get enough people out of that cycle. Once that cycle is out, you know, the whole world changes. And that's, that goes back to that quote that I believe in, be the change that you wish to see in the world. Uh, and that's what I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for being alive, being healthy, having a great family, and being able to do what I love every single day. I'm, I'm very, very fortunate. I don't take that for granted any day. Because I've been on the other end of the spectrum. I know exactly what it feels like. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, if you follow him at all, and, and, I, and I don't follow him closely, but, you know, he shows up because he's, he's that guy. But, uh, you know, Gary, Vayner, Gary Vaynerchuk, I know he, one of his rants is, you know, with especially he really focuses on that younger kind of generation, that millennial group seems to be his sweet spot. But, you know, where he really gets them in realizing just how, grateful they need to be for the fact that they're even born it's like a you know one in you know 300 trillion chance of being you know on this earth it's, it's just an interesting perspective isn't it and uh so you know when you say about uh you know being alive today being here you could have been you know like you say pulling a rickshaw some in some other country and wouldn't even have known the difference i wouldn't so know the difference because of... my mind would have been developed right 
Totally, totally, 100%. So I really, really get that. Well, today I'm grateful for having the opportunity to uh, meet you and have this conversation with you. I want to say thank you for uh, being on the Everyday Millionaire podcast and having this uh, conversation, Omar. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Well, thanks, Patrick, for having me on. And thanks for uh, allowing me to share my story. And hopefully we can uh, inspire others to, uh, to better their lives and continue the journey. Always. Thanks, thanks pal. Ladies and gentlemen, Thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.